The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Everybody turn to John chapter 14. It's a really short verse this morning. And really, it's just a few words. But the part of the passage that I want to focus on is, are these words. Jesus said, I am the way. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and this is the very, the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's try that again. I know it was short. Y'all weren't ready. <laughs> this is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are available to us. And yet, so often we don't make my, ourselves available to you. And so, God, would you just open our hearts this morning by the power of your Spirit to, to see you in a different light, to see how we've been relating to you, our lifestyle in a different light. Show us how you are the way. You are the way to God. You are the way to life. You are the way to rest. You are the way to everything. Oh, God, help us to see and genuinely deep in our souls understand that we need you more than oxygen. We need to breathe you in more than we need to breathe the next breath. We need you, for you are the way, the truth, and the life. Make it clear to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been marching through a new series on rest that we call Rest Assured. And we have so because Jesus in uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 offers us rest. This is the primary offer of the gospel. Uh, Jesus says, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest deep down to your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet how many of us, if we were really honest, would say we have and we experience the rest of God on an ongoing basis? How many of us even this morning feel like we are drinking in rest from God himself? We are a restless generation, and, and we have to understand that the primary reason that we aren't drinking in rest, I think we would all agree, or most of us anyway, would agree that God is rest, that Jesus is rest, but how do you get it? That's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to be very practical. And, and the first thing that we need to understand is that there is a way to follow Jesus into rest. This, this is, it, it's fascinating. There's a Greek word uh, called hodos, hodos, and it means the way out or a road out. It's a lifestyle. It's a way to live, and, and God has offered it all throughout the Scriptures. This, this Greek word hodos is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, and its Greek equivalent in the Old Testament is used over 700 times. 
And, and we, so the very first thing I want us to do is just march through a, a number of Bible verses to help us see that this is not the only place, that uh, John uh, 14, 6 is not the only place where we see Jesus offering himself as the way or God offering himself as the way and, and even promising one to come that will lead us into the way. And, and we see this in some of the Bible verses because they, they're contrasting uh, the way of the world or a grievous way or a way that leads to destruction versus the way of God. And, and just think about this. We've all heard these verses before, most of them anyway, and most of us anyway, but we probably never thought about and just isolated the word way. So think about Matthew uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is John the Baptist declaring the arrival of the king, the arrival of Jesus, and what does he do? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the uh, prophet Isaiah when he said, get it, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Let's just go back to Exodus 33, 13. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Psalm 1, verse 1 and then 5 and 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way the lifestyle of sinners. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart, Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And then lead me in the way, the lifestyle. Lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, Proverbs 16, 17. He who guards his way preserves his life. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Way, what is he talking about? Some legal, th no, the way to live, a way to live your life toward God and toward righteousness. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, his own way of living. We say no to God, yes to sin. Matthew 22, 15 through 16. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you were true and teach the way of God truthfully. Jesus is the way. This theme was so prevalent that, that we were known, that, that believers were known as men and women, boys and girls who lived a lifestyle so drastically different from the world that before we were called Christians in the book of Acts, we were, we were referred to as people of the way. Listen, Acts chapter 19, 9 through 23. This is before, or excuse me, Acts chapter 9, 1 and 2, before Saul or Paul was converted. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Then Acts 19, 9 and 23 But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. About the time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. There was this way, these people living a different lifestyle, a different way that caught the attention of others. Acts 24, 14, Paul before Felix But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And then catch this, Matthew 7. This is the end of the the Sermon on the Mount. This is when, you know, Jesus preaches his, the, the longest sermon he, he, he will ever preach and, as recorded in scriptures, and listen to how he ends the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. There's a way that leads to destruction. Oh, but oh, there's a way that leads to life. There is a lifestyle. There is a way to live in which we are drinking God in. We could spend all morning, I mean, 700 Old Testament passages, 100 New Testament passages, but we're not going to do that. But, but here's the point. John Mark Comer said this. He's a preacher in Portland. The way of Jesus is just that. It's a way of life, not just a set of ideas, Bible and theology, not just a list of do's and don'ts or ethics. It's a lifestyle. What is the lifestyle of Jesus? What is the lifestyle of God? What has been laid down in his word from beginning to end that allows us to tap into God himself, to breathe him in like my illustration with the children? How can we really live that way? How can we, when we are running out of breath, not run to social media or Netflix or the next thing or plan the next vacation or buy the next pair of whatever or do, you know, do this or do that, just get busy, set the next goal, but how can we drink in Jesus? How can we breathe him in? How can we find rest for our souls and we don't even have to be on vacation? We don't even have to be uh, uh, taking that day off. We can find rest in the midst of any circumstances. How can we get there? Well, two, to follow Jesus into rest demands whole, not half-hearted following. I I want us to start thinking, in in that illustration with the children, how many of us or how how much of the time are we treating the Bible, even even if you are faithful in having your devotion, you say, oh, I hadn't missed a day this year. That's probably very few of us, but even if that person exists, um, okay, but have you, have, you, have you left your time in the morning and gone straight to your agenda and your life, or have you been running to Jesus constantly, 
all throughout each day, all throughout each night, all throughout each morning? Do you know how to live this lifestyle that is connecting you deep into God just as, as, as much as we connect deep into oxygen when we need it? Well, it demands a wholehearted devotion, and that's hard. I am, I'm a guy, and my wife would, would readily tell you this, uh, I'm a guy that does not like rules. I don't like structure. I don't like people putting me in a box and saying, you have to do this. I, I like the freedom. I like, there's too many options, you know. I like to, to be creative and, and, and never, re, you know, I don't want to have to make a decision because then it's over. All the fun part's over, and then we just have to obey. We just have to follow. We just have to move in this direction. And so God has had to do a, a significant work on me, and he is far from, from through with this work. But it really, I would say it started during our four-month sabbatical two or three years ago. And it's continuing on today, and God has had to put this, this full-court press on me. I mean, I love the verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But, oh, I'm not too excited about what Paul says at the end of that chapter, Galatians 5, when he says, but, oh, hey, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but give yourself to one another. Love one another. Die to yourself and give yourself away. Oh, freedom then, therefore, is just that. The freedom that the Bible talks about is not freedom from God. It's not, oh, he lived, died, rose again, and now, oh, because I'm justified, because, uh, you know, I'm forgiven of my sins, I've been declared righteous in, in the sight of God, and he loves me, and there's nothing I can do to, to push him away. There's nothing I can do uh, to lose my salvation that I can just live any way I want to, or I don't have to take, no. He has redeemed me. He has freed me through the power of his resurrection that I might live the way that I might find a different way of living in which I am satisfied in Christ no matter what's going on around me. My heart is growing more and more um, uh, for him as I am growing less and less committed to this world. So what is keeping us from the way? What is keeping us from wholehearted devotion? What is keeping us from, from genuinely training our minds and our hearts toward him? For most of us, it's not some major sin. It's not the affair that we're having. It's not, you know, that we're embezzling from our company. It's not, no, it's a million little things hijacking our minds, hijacking our hearts that are moving us away from Christ so subtly that we don't even know it's happening. You see, over time, my life can be hijacked by a million little things that add up to a huge thing, namely turning my life um, more on following the demands and the distractions of life than the one who is life. And this is what we have to get into. A million little moments have been hijacked by idle thoughts, dreams and goals, social media, busyness, that next thing I have to accomplish. These have all replaced Jesus by displacing, if not dulling, our affections for Christ. Do you see it? There's something out there. Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, which I highly recommend. Um, incredible cultural analysis on where we are in our culture today in terms of Christianity and God and, and our thinking. 
and the autonomy of everyone finding their own truth and everyone being true to themselves and how it's leading us away. It, it's, yes, are you to love yourself? Yes, but why? Because you're made in the image of God and you're redeemed by Him and loved by Him forever. Not because you and you alone are worth anything. You're worth everything because of who you are in Christ, because of who you are made, made in the image of God. And, oh, that's so subtle, but it's the difference between life and death. And this is what he said in his book, Disappearing Church. We are called to live out and preach the gospel in an age that caresses us as it corrodes our faith and trust in Jesus. We are being caressed by a million little things, and it's corroding our trust in, in Christ. Something I'm convinced that the devil doesn't have to trip us up. All he has to do is distract us. All the devil has to do is enslave us. Every time that in our minds we want to go to Christ, oh, but there's that text I've got to respond. Oh, but there's that email I've got to respond to. Oh, but there's that next thing on my to-do list. Oh, I've got to call this person. Every time a million little things that are keeping us from wholeheartedly moving our hearts to God, our minds to God, our souls to God. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which you can tell I really like because I quoted a lot right, lately, says this, Today you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office, or another soccer game on a Sunday, or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. The famous psychologist Carl Jung um, and Carl Jung, uh, Jung um, created the whole category of introvert-extrovert. So you, you introverts in here, you owe him a lot uh, <laughs> because it's freed you to say, I don't have to be like those extroverts over there. Um, anyway, that was, that was free. That was, that was free. So Carl Jung had this little saying, <laughs> hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Mm. Do you want rest? You have to stop being distracted by digital media and begin being driven by Jesus. To follow Jesus in our day and age, we have to become aware of the endless number of distractions that are enslaving us. We have to become woke to the reality that we are slaves to our schedules, our phones, our devices, our TVs, our streaming, our email, our text, our Slack, our GroupMe, and the like. I think if Jesus were in the desert today, in our context, the devil would come to him with this um, dialogue. Jesus, here's an app that will allow you to connect to more people and spread your message faster and with more efficiency without even leaving your couch. To which I think Jesus would respond, it's not by efficiency that I live and breathe, but communion with my Father the love of actual people. Thus I live slower rather than faster, for that is the pace of true love. 
too distracted to think much about Jesus, much less set our minds on Him. We live distracted with the busyness of the trite. And friends, it is so bad that I, that I would challenge you just to take a day, maybe just a morning, maybe just a block of four hours, and really journal, really self-evaluate where your mind is constantly going. I'm not saying, did you have your quiet time in the morning? I'm saying, see where your mind goes after your quiet time <laughs> and, and, and begin to really be a, pay attention to how you're being duped by your own flesh and the devil himself. And so thirdly and finally, following Jesus into rest demands putting on his yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And, and it's really the same thing as Jesus saying, I am the way. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. A rabbi in the first century uh, never said, okay, meet me at class. You're going to have the, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday class from 11 to 11.50, and that's how you're going to be my disciple. You're going to drink in me and, you know, in the 50-minute class, and, of course, you're going to be 30 seconds, a couple minutes late, and, um, you know, and you're probably not going to pay attention the whole time. No. What did he say? He said, follow me. And what did that mean? It meant follow him. <laughs> it meant live with him. You see Jesus sneaking away from camp. His disciples are sleeping around the same fire. They are literally eating, drinking, sleeping, living day to day constantly. And the only time they're away from him is when he sneaks away to do what? Pray and be with his father. Because he, he has to after spending time with these knuckleheads for as much as he, as he does. He has to spend time with his Father. That's the point. No, Jesus says, follow me. Paul puts it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to hear me this morning. When Jesus called Matthew, when Jesus called Peter, when, when Jesus called Andrew, there's literally no difference between him calling you. Jesus, friends, is not dead Newsflash, <laughs> Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and he is more alive today than he was when he was with uh, his disciples. He is the resurrected king. He is right here. He is with us. He is literally in us. This is what Paul is saying. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you're going to find your life. That's where you're going to find your rest. And it's not, it's, not, it's not disassociating, going out into the world to serve him while he sits idly by. It's going out into the world and serving with him and, and walking with him and putting every decision before him and listening to him and waiting for him and waiting on him and being still before him and going back to his word. It is this life of utter following Get that in your head this week. Ask yourself a hundred times a day, am I following Jesus right now? If not, what am I following? Identify it and repent of it. Oh, so much of the time, I, 
most of the time. I'm following my own desires. I'm following my own direction. I'm following my anger. I'm following my emotions. This guy cut me off. What I want to do, I want to get out of my car and settle this thing. I ain't following Jesus. And in that minute, in that minute, that's the question I have to ask. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow Richard Reeves? Whose glory, as we sang just a minute ago, do I really want in my life? Whose glory do I want to bring down in this minute? When I've hurt those around me, when I've, when I've recognized that I've neglected those around me, when I want to go do something fun, but I, I need to go take care of my mother and my stepfather and their dementia and so forth, what does it look like to follow Jesus? When I am tired of doing that, when I want to give up on that, why? Where is that coming from? Lord Jesus, help me to understand. Bring me into it. Help me see why I'm having such a hard time dying to myself. Because you said I was dead, but my life is with you, but I don't feel very alive to you. Do you see that? John 15, 4, another way to put it. Abide in me, says Jesus, and I in you. Isn't that beautiful? And then he gives this beautiful illustration. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can do nothing outside of Christ, is what he's saying. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So, you, And listen, to catch this. I've never noticed this before, how this section ended. So you will be my disciples. What? How do I be your disciple? Just abide in me. Just take every moment of your day to me. It's not out here working, doing big things so that, oh, I make you look good. No, it's just abiding in me. That's all I want. I don't want your accomplishments. I want you. That's what Jesus said. That's discipleship. But how many of us get it? How many of us are part of it? How do we do it? As I said a minute ago, because we live in a day in which there are unprecedented number of distractions, we must eliminate the distractions so that we might replace them with the essential, namely Jesus, experiencing his presence, hearing his voice, allowing him to be our personal trainer. Rest is had not merely as we get a massage, there's nothing wrong with a massage. Take a day off, nothing wrong with a day off. You need one. Grab a vacation, sit in a lounge chair in your favorite park, um, surround yourself with essential oils and that latte from your favorite coffee shop, get that small plate or four or five from the chic restaurant that you left so much. Nothing wrong with these things, taking a run by the river, but that's not connecting you to God. That is not the rest that Jesus promises in his word. These things are good. Self-care, Okay. But that's not what it means to fight your way to God, to find your way to God, to connect to Him as, as you are connected to the next breath of oxygen. We, he didn't call us to follow Him as we follow people on Instagram or Facebook. He told us to follow Him as if our lives depend on it every second of every day. So how do we do it? We go into training. Listen, another um, section at the end of the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, 
everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's like a man who built a house. You see that? Put them into practice. Interesting. Not do it that you might be saved. Just put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed is the one who doesn't do his works or pray his prayers in, in, um, uh, in public so as to get attention, but blessed is the one who goes into his inner closet. Blessed is the one who doesn't just forgive his enemy, but blessed is the one who loves his enemy. Wow. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Is your life falling? It's because you're not practicing. It's because you're not in training. The key is not to work harder. You've been redeemed. You don't have to work harder for the love of God. You have been, Jesus lived, he's obeyed the law in your place. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. He has died for your sin. He has paid for the penalty of hell itself. There is nothing you can do. There's no penance. There's nothing you can do to make God forgive you more. He has been raised to life now so that you might have freedom to draw into him, not to work harder, but to begin to train harder. If you want to run a marathon, if, if, you, know, if you want to run a marathon, you don't start out by running 26.2 miles. What do you do? You run the first mile or half mile or quarter mile or you walk the first, whatever, wherever you are. That's where you start. But you're never going to run 26.2 unless you start. This, this, this teaching is not to overwhelm us. This teaching is to invite us that there is a way to live that we can experience the presence and the glory of the lover of our souls, the one who will never reap shame in our lives, the one who will never um, reap guilt in our lives, the one who will call us to himself. You want to be merciful. Practice being merciful. Is there somebody you need to forgive right now? Forgive them. And then you try, and you don't do it. The next time you see them, you let them have it. What do you do then? Okay. I mean, I was, I, I was injured. I hurt my back for about three weeks a couple months ago, and I couldn't run. And my first run back, I had to walk about four times. It was humiliating to me. And I kept putting, heaping guilt on myself. No, that's not. What do you do? You're not going to be merciful all the time. You're not going to lo be loving all the time. You're not going to be a peacemaker all the time. But what do you do? You go back to Jesus. I need you. I need you. Why? Psalm 25, 9 through 10. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. The only thing that can keep you from God is your pride. It's not your sin. There's no sin that you can commit that will keep you away from God. It'll be only your pride. Hallelujah. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, not guilt and shame, not guilt and shame. He will lead you to his heart, not to guilt and shame, for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Giles Lipovetsky 
in his book, Hypermodern Times, wrote this. You see, our age loves to have authority. We want to determine what's right. We want to determine truth. We want to find ourselves and create our own way. Listen to what he said. Hence, the individual appears more and more opened up and mobile, fluid and socially independent. But this volatility signifies much more a destabilization of the self than a triumphant affirmation of a subject endowed with self-mastery. Witness the rising tide of psychosomatic symptoms and obsessive compulsive behavior, depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts, not to mention the growing sense of inadequacy and self-deprecation. The more socially mobile the individual, in other words, the more free we become, the more unattached we become to our communities and one another and to church and whatever, the more socially mobile the individual is, the more we witness signs of exhaustion and uh, subjective breakdowns. The more freely and intensely people wish to live, the more we hear them saying how difficult life can be. Christ has set you free that you might be tethered to the Savior and you might have life. At the center of the way is replacing self with God. Humility is marked by abiding and giving yourself to Him. Just be present in each moment with God. And you say, well, I don't have time. Yes, you do. And yes, I do. Every moment when you're standing in a line at the grocery store, instead of pulling this thing out, Remember your verse that you read that morning. Just be still and know that I am God right here. In the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this, be still and know that I am in this moment right here. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. First Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Paul said pray without ceasing. He didn't literally mean get in the closet and never come out. He meant throughout every instance, every moment, you're cognizant, you're you're aware that you're not alone. You are with God, and you're bringing each moment, and you're bringing each encounter with Him, and you're drinking in His love. Friends, it's the prayer of St. Patrick, and we're really going to end on this. And if you want to find, I'll put it on the realm, but I hope this would be our prayer. St. Patrick prayed this. And St. Patrick, if you don't know who he was, he wasn't some dude that sat in a monastery. And this is a dude that took a communion cup and a cross to Ireland to some of the most violent, detestable human beings on the planet and saw God win them all to Jesus in Ireland. He is the, this is the spark of Christianity in Ireland, and this is what he prayed. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Oh, it's beautiful. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Oh, if we could be known as a people of Christ, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Dear friends, do you truly want Christ? Then how are you going to change your life? How are you going to live in a different direction? There is nothing hypothetical about this sermon. How are you going to live differently when you leave this place today? 
How are you going to live differently tomorrow morning and all throughout the day? Start the marathon. If you have to walk the first hundred yards or, and that's it for the day, then do it. But then the next day, walk 150. Take a little bit more time. Captivate, capture, recapture some more time of your day until you don't have to. Make it on, put it on your schedule. Literally. Put it on your Google calendar. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Until you don't have to put him on your calendar anymore. You got to put something else on your calendar because you start forgetting stuff that you have to do or you need to do. You say, Richard, that's ridiculous. I'm an adult. Yeah, you are, and so am I. But do you want Jesus? Go after him. How are you going to change? What's your plan? Make one. Lord Jesus, you are worth it. Your body and blood lie on the table before us to reveal the grace and the love and the ocean of acceptance and delight that awaits us. Oh, God, why do we choose our own ways? Why do we choose the trite? Why do we choose the, the unessential and make it essential? Oh, God, I beg that you would pour out your Spirit upon us this morning, that you would do a mighty work within our hearts, that you would give us such a hunger for you and such a, 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 a not just a desire, but, and not just a willingness, but move our feet and our hands to align with the values of you. Oh, God, I beg that you would draw us higher up and deeper into you, that we would want you more than anything in life, that when we taste of you, a taste of your love, taste of your forgiveness, taste of your goodness, taste of your truth, taste of your presence, that we would simply want more and more and more, and we would change our lives, our schedules, our everything to get more. Oh, God, would you make us more like you? Do it right here at Downtown Church for your glory and, oh, for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we um, respond to the grace and mercy of Christ as we bring our tithes and offerings this morning. And it's a little, we're still not passing the plate. Maybe we'll do that in the fall, maybe not. We're not sure when, but that's why we have baskets over here. You can give online, but please, as an act of worship and faith, continue to tithe, increase your tithe, continue to give, and that is what this moment is for right now.